Was I supposed to come prepared with a concept? Oh, not, not oh, enough. No, no worries. Not no, enough. We're, we're good. <laughs> but not we're going to give you dirty looks the whole rest of the episode. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, know, dirty looks over an audio it. podcast. Can you feel them? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that moment of silence was brought to you by NyQuil. <laughs> Enter uh, Dream World today. I feel like I encounter space-driven settings that have humans that aren't from Earth. You know, they're from some sort of made-up alternate human background planet. Alderaan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is fine. But well, I, yeah, they can't be from Alderaan anymore. <laughs> Depends on your setting in the timeline. <laughs> it's too late to be from Alderaan. <laughs> Welcome to Crucible of Realms. I'm Jim. I'm John. And I'm Kent. And joining us this week is Chris. Say hello, Chris. Hello. Chris is a friend of mine who is actually in a D&D group that I am currently playing in. Uh, another of our friends from our D&D group. Some of you may remember Reese, who was on a previous episode, and Chris is actually running one of the games that we're playing in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, let's see, things that might be relevant. I have been successfully, or lack thereof, enjoying playing role-playing games probably since I was 11 years old, so that's easily over 20 years. I'll leave it at that. But, uh, the 1D10 plus 20 years. Yeah, please. there you go. I actually got started in uh, <sighs> 82nd edition and enjoyed uh, a series of homegrown campaigns and then segued into some Dark Sun stuff and then started branching out into other systems and discovered the joy of White Wolf, for example. And uh, then college came around and other things came around and I sort of fell off the wagon for a while and then was lucky enough to reconnect with some people that were fans of world building and fans of just general playing make-believe even as a grown-up, which is really what drives me pretty much to do everything. <laughs> My intense desire to pretend to be something that I'm not or someplace that I'm not. Very cool. We have a little bit more mail. Andrew has written in again. He writes, Dear Jim, John, and Kent, I just wanted to congratulate you on another great show. I laughed out loud at the idea of Apple World. Then I realized that instead of people living on a giant fruit, it could also be an artificial eye planet. I like the idea of setting superhero games in historical settings. I hadn't thought of that before. I must borrow it for a game at some stage. All the best, Andrew. Thank you very much for writing in again, Andrew. We appreciate it. Uh, that was a very fun episode to do. Very. Just going crazy and getting the 1800s out of our system, I think. Major Ursa. I just can't believe it. Ah, yes. There needs to be a comic book series starring Major Ursa. It's vitally important. Need to get somebody on that now. <laughs> well, now the episode's dropped. Anybody can use it, so, you know. That's true. So if someone out there would like to write a Major Ursa comic, please let us know. We just want a blurb at the front. That's yeah, just a little blurb. Just a little thing. It would please us. Okay, well, let's uh, go ahead and get this shindig started. Oh, no. Now so, he's going to ask us. I'm going to start asking questions now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now the pressure's on. What kind of world do we want to build this week? Chris, is there a particular genre or idea type thing you'd like to play with? Uh, as you're our guest? No, actually, I'm interested in seeing where you guys want to take it. I had a thought. I've been hesitant to say it because I was thinking we haven't done pirates yet. <laughs> but then again, Chris has been swimming in pirates lately, so... You know, uh, work out. Given our recent D&D campaign we've been playing. I might get some useful um, ideas. If you're interested in doing pirates, we might tackle it. I think it might be cool. What do you guys think? That yes, works definitely. Me. Want to do a pirate thingy? Okay. Oh, yeah. We can add that to pretty much... Uh, a lot of different genres. So what sort of genre do we want to throw pirates into at this point? Do we want to do it like a fantasy world? Are we going to do a... Uh, or are they space pirates? Or uh, do we want to do something that's based on like 1700s pirates? Or do we want to... What do we want to do? I've been obsessed lately with medieval pirates. You know, oh, okay. uh, like Scandinavian Viking pillaging type piracy. Ooh. You know, rather than your stereotypical swashbuckling pirate activity, things yeah. that are a little bit more gritty, yeah. for lack of a better word. Yeah, we could do something that's uh, kind of like that, where it's like earlier than one would traditionally see them, but I, I mean, right. pirates have existed as long as boats have existed, that, so you know, we're, yeah. we're good there. Then, of course, um, part of me that always really wanted to have an opportunity to play Windjammer. Uh, what is Windjammer, actually? I'm not completely familiar. It's a derivative of whatever the um, 
what was the D and D the space pirates? Oh, Spelljammer. Spelljammer, yeah. Oh, Spelljammer, so, yeah. Um, yeah. it was a, a it's a derivative of Spelljammer. Oh, um, really? It's more space pirates. So Windjammer is an actual like that's the name of an actual ship. That's probably where they got Spelljammer from. It was just basically it was just another setting that wasn't D and D driven. So is it like long ships in space, that kind of thing? Uh, yes. Magically driven ships. Yes, space opera. Uh, would we like to tackle that? So yeah, yeah, we are going to okay. be space pirates. Oh, yeah. In a way, yes, but it's fantasy space pirates, so it's going to be a bit different. Are we going to do the standard space thing where it's like spherical planets orbiting suns in systems in galaxies, that kind of thing? Or is it a different kind of space, like hmm. exospace or something strange where it's like all gray outside, or is it... I think you should be able to mix and match. I think a big part of what's fun or appealing about a setting, a genre of space travel, is the travel part, going from one place to another. And so part of that is then the areas in between. I think you'd probably lose something if you didn't try to include the opportunity for planets and space stations and alien races and all of that. Definitely. So what I'm getting here then is that maybe we're wanting to do it where we have, so for example, it's like outer space in the sense that we have stars and we have, say, planets, and uh, then perhaps we have also space stations, but geared more toward the sorts of societies that are going to be out there, whatever their magical technology level is at that point. Are we going to mix and match? Are we going to have magic-based space travel linking up with science-based? Oh... That's interesting. I think that I think that would be fun actually because you've also got opportunities for conflict built into that. Yeah. Okay. Tell you what. Let's see if we can do that. It's a little crazy, but let's see if we can manage it. For those of you who are listening who actively hate Blender settings, that is settings that actively mix huge amounts of both fantasy and science fiction, stop the podcast now. <laughs> this is your only warning. Or get a stiff drink and. Or get a stiff drink and, uh, and just ride it through. Soldier on. Ride it like a wave. Because I think this one's going to get a bit nuts. So this is a sci-fi fantasy well, uh, space mean, pirate setting. No, that's cool. The, that's fine. You can go back to the Asimov thing, and any science sufficiently advanced appears like magic. Sure. No, no worries. So that being the case, that means this is wide open. We need to decide, first of all, the scale of this. So we need to figure out how big we want this to be. Do we want to do like a single kind of solar system or do we want a system cluster or do we want a galactic cluster? Are we talking like uh, multiple galaxies or are we talking uh, something bigger? I think a spiral arm or something. of a, of a Yeah, I think path. multiple systems. And then you've got the potential for other galaxies out there. So something, say, like out near the rim of a galaxy, but it's uh, it's going to be multiple stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking yeah. another. Yeah. We're talking about the star oh, yeah. systems? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, now I begin to ask the dreaded question, how many star systems do we want to deal with right now and this uh, spiral arm we're talking about? Do we want to just say, do four of them and we each take one? That sounds fair. Do- yep. Okay. I'll tell you what. If you like, I'll go ahead and take the first torpedo. Cool. Um, since I never go first, whenever I do this, I will go ahead and dive in and go first. So I am seeing a kind of a hairy humanoid race that largely do a lot of salvage. And so they have ships that are, I would say, predominantly technological, but that also maybe some of them have actually figured out ways of using minor magic or magical objects in sync with the technology. And it's the kind of thing is like you look at it and you think, my God, this is going to fall apart in any second. Because it's uh, like a sort of a general hodgepodge thing. So a scavenger type. So in, uh, okay. in the blender system, they're the blender race. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, are they actually technologically advanced themselves, or did they get the technology someplace else? and are kind of skating on somebody else's... Yeah, I think they have a core of their own thing that lets them go from place to place. So, I mean, they've got their own faster-than-light technology or something similar, or perhaps it's a teleportation-type thing. I'm not sure. Oh, that would be interesting. What if it were something that started out as kind of more a fantasy-type race, but they got a hold of technology and started playing with it a lot to the point that they now have ships that are essentially borrowed ships or things that they cobbled together from other civilizations? Things of that nature. Nice. So maybe in their star system, their planet is the most populous, but uh, maybe they had a case in which there was an accident or maybe they got invaded and maybe something happened to the invaders. It could have been like a virus or it could have been just something the invaders were not prepared for whatever sort of magic they had. And I'm thinking for some reason that maybe they've got like teleportation-based magic and they've been using it up until this point to explore planets a little bit. 
they're still trying to figure things out, up to the point that they actually got a hold of some ships and are now, instead of just scavenging on their planet, they're now scavenging the galaxy. <laughs> Gotcha. Have they been bold enough to acquire other planets, or are they just... I think maybe right now they're... Well, their main thing is trade. I'd say they probably have some colonies Mm -hmm. uh, on some other planets by this point. You know, we we haven't really decided how big they are. I'm kind of thinking that maybe their planet had, like, a bunch of different fantasy races on it, but maybe they suffered some kind of fantasy apocalypse. And so this was the race that was left sort of going through the scrap heap that kind of came out and was working that way, just essentially the, the scavengers. Something where maybe, like, there was some kind of, I don't want to say a magical atom bomb per se, but something that caused, say, a lot of flash fires all around the planet. Some wizard went insane and did a bunch of stuff and uh, got to the point that there are still maybe a few representatives of some of the other races on that planet, but these guys are essentially the uh, humanoid equivalent of cockroaches as far as survival (laughs) goes. Wow. I should probably think of something beyond them just being furry. Maybe they're... um, Maybe ape men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds kind of strange, but maybe they're... I'm not saying exactly Neanderthals, but you know how you have, say, cat people, dog mm-hmm. people, that kind of thing? These, these are, are more ape, ape more Yeah, ape. these are ape-like people. They have slightly longer than normal fingers, and they enjoy tinkering and playing with things. What they used to have were forests, and they don't really have those anymore. But instead they have, you know, they swing through the ruins of their own civilizations and uh, basically cobble together what they can. Sound good? Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Jim, I I hate to pigeonhole you, but where was the star system in that? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. It's one of the four systems on the spiral arm of the galaxy. Okay. It's near the rim. Where they're from is... Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is the primary civilization from that system. Okay. Mm -hmm. There might be others from that system, but this is, I'm thinking, just a single star system. It's got a single sun, Uh and their planet is probably, I will say, the second planet out from the sun. So it is probably uncomfortably hot there. (laughs) Actually, here's a question for everybody. Since this is on the the edge, how close is the next galaxy over? Ooh. You don't have to give miles, but I mean, you know. uh, I would imagine it would be very, very far away. Mm -hmm. Okay. So anytime anyone would see anything from another galaxy coming in, it would be rare. Fairly rare. Well, going with the systems, I'll go second. Okay. Okay. I started thinking also kind of like Jim along the lines of like the base that would inhabit the system and kind of how those two things would go together. So, but I've also, I've also come up with some names. Cool. Okay. The star system that I have in mind, it's going to be, it's a single star system. It's going to be a red giant star. Very old. Not yet got to the point of collapsing, right? But old. The system's name would be Raz Ikel. Actually, I figured out how I want to spell it. It would be two words. First word would be R-A-Z, mm-hmm. and then the second would be E-K-E-L-L. The star system also then, the name of the system and the name of the dominant race and the name of their home planet all sort of go together. So the race would be the Kellians. Either, like, the home planet would either be, like, Kellian or just Kel. And I'm envisioning them to be heavily magic in background. The space travel, their ships, everything, the whole culture is very magic dominated. But again, this is magic that sits in the realm of space travel. So I think any of the cultures in this are going to be different from your standard sort of fantasy fair because they're organized around traveling in space. Yes, totally. Um, The way that I see the race of the Kellians, they're sort of like the evil dominion race. They're very interested in being the biggest bad guys on the block. The race I'm thinking would be sort of a combination of insectoid and humanoid elements. Not your dry, clickety-clack insectoid type, but more fleshy and gooey with mandibles and spitting things and so on and so forth. You know, sort of gross and scary at the same time. So I'm seeing that the system itself would be probably maybe four or five planets. And a red giant stage, you know, there used to be a couple others that would have been consumed a long time ago. But um, so theirs is probably like the third or fourth one out. Well, that's their home system. But as a dominant race, that would be something the Kellians would be a group that would be very interested in expansion. So they might actually, you know, then we start getting into dominion across stars and across star systems, which then definitely sets us up for, you know, what are the mechanics of space travel and how you can maintain things over distances like that. Yeah, totally. Um, But I I also, I really like the idea of this image of ships of theirs that involve spells to help hold things together. Like the ships, they're not complete composites of physical material. You're not keeping out the vacuum of space with only physical elements. You know, it's not all steel or metal or 
hyperaluminum alloy or whatever, you know, whatever thing you want to come up with. But there are magical fields involved and, you know, and elemental components that help form the, the drives of the ship, cool. but also that help hold the different pieces together. Okay, yeah, so, like, there are magical parts that are integral parts yeah. of the ship. Yeah, like, I mean, and so, you know, rather than your engineering elements in that, in this kind of thing, you don't have engineers, you've got priest magicians who, rather than having to consume fuel, are relying on magical energies of a different type. I mentioned the priest magician part because one of the things I think would be interesting for this race would be for them to be very heavily sort of theocratic. I think the oh, dominant... Nice. The dominant political structure for them should be some sort of matriarchal god empress. So they have a high priestess, essentially, yeah, a sort essentially. of a matriarchal theocracy. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. So who wants to go next? I'm ready. Okay, what you got? Uh, all right. So what I would like to see is the next race or the third race that we have in a major solar system. They have progressed beyond their physical means. They are an energy being. Oh, neat. Okay, so, nice. And their ships are more of an essence or they don't possess like different levels or, you know, like rooms where people would sleep or something like that. They are just giant bubbles of their of their consciousness. Oh, so nice. they could so, cool. go ahead. Their, their consciousnesses intermingle. You say? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Was this and, a magical transformation or was this? a a physical just a evolutionary evolutionary yep was evolutionary it but, but it was it brought on by magic no no it's just okay. they've been around for that long their evolution has has allowed them to go beyond and so they have like an esp between them they can talk and communicate without moving or having lips move or whatnot they can take physical shape and when they do it's usually like humanoid form where they have head torso arms legs that sort of thing um, okay. but typically they would be balls of energy like a wisp and so they have since because of this they have kind of released their bounds from uh, physical nature and so they don't have like cities or things like that but they do gather in large areas and try and rekindle distant memories of or whatnot, where they would gather in large numbers and create cities of old or something like that as huh. like a history sharing where they're okay. teaching their young and things like that. Nice. Maybe it's just sort of like museums for the slower moving people. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> nice. Okay, very cool. Do they still have a home planet uh, uh, yes. in that system? Okay. Yes, they do. Do they primarily inhabit it or, uh, do, or are they just out all over the place? Yes. And because of their age and whatnot, it's a white dwarf. And so their planet was like seventh, but now there's no other planets before them. Their red giant exploded and has gone to white dwarf form. Oh, nice. The damage has been done and, and they survived only because they were a spacefaring race where they yeah. had a majority of them destroyed and they repopulated on a planet, even though they can inhabit worlds that are like uninhabitable to most. Yeah. Because they, well, they'd become energy by that point, I take it, by the correct. time their sun exploded. Correct. Oh, okay. That's very cool. I like that. It's very awesome. Yep. And uh, John, do you have something for us? Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of a, a fantasy world where probably a wizard's guild or probably some group of travelers, and they can teleport, but they only can teleport between significant masses of Earth. So that works great between their Earth and their moon and maybe the planets in their solar system. So, you know, they could see them and maybe actually feel the gravity essentially between the two points. But the rest of the universe is so far away that they had to come up with some method I see in my head almost like a, a big fiery comet ball that on the inside is where the scouts go. Um, nice. And okay. they they go out looking for places where they could build an anchor, basically build a, almost a stargate, build a, a bridge point between the planets. Okay. Or, or masses. I, so I they kind of have to have these earthen rings that they travel between? Right, right. Yeah, I think that that's the way this works. So they developed star travel because that was the only way they could extend their teleportation abilities. So they probably don't travel. These spheres don't travel faster than the speed of light, but they've developed some sort of way to slow time on the inside so that they don't age proportionately long so they can get to another planet and still be alive. 
some sort of time magic or something like that. Right. Or maybe they've come up with some way around relativity. I don't know. Maybe. There's always that. What do these guys look like? I think they're humanoid. I think that this is a pretty much human race. I'm kind of seeing blue skin. That's the biggest difference. The big thing is, is the people who are spacefaring are really probably at the height of the power level. The only people that could actually make those spells that are going to bridge those gaps have to be very accomplished. So it's not a kind of novice trip. So anyone that you're likely to encounter out in space, they're going to be wizards more often than not, I'm guessing. Right. Anybody on that that's in their ship is pretty powerful. Um, Okay. And have spent a lot of time figuring out how to do this. And I maybe they have, I don't know if they've made her first contact with anybody else yet. Or if they have, you know, maybe they just dropped down onto planets. Maybe there's some contention over that right now because maybe they're like in the middle and they're just getting to the point that these other races are discovering them. And it's... Uh... <laughs> right, and it's a significant yeah. disadvantage not being able to travel translight. I mean, teleporting yeah. is great, but if you only can move from a mass to a mass. You know, they haven't quite managed to get outside of their system just yet, or maybe they're just breaking through. I think the first probes have gone out, but until they make that instant contact back, you know, until you yeah. build the bridge yeah. back, nobody knows what happened to them. So, we need to figure out, of these four races, the ape folk, the energy people, the Kel, and the blue wizards, who has the most effective means of interstellar travel? I'd say probably the energy people. Yeah, Yeah, agreed. It does seem like that's going to be the case. Now, the funny thing is, though, only they can do it, Mm -hmm. unless there is a means of tapping into their present state, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Kent, you said that basically they are their own ships? Correct. I mean, they can leave, come and go, basically as they please. I don't know how fast they would travel across the universe or whatnot. At least the speed of light, I'm guessing, because these are beings of light, at least. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Can they go go faster than their own selves, though? Yeah. (laughs) They they, they break the light barrier, and then it's like looking at a hall of mirrors. Oh, wow. (laughs) If your pure energy time doesn't pass for you. uh, Going uh, over to the next system over. I'll be there last week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the medium for... Traveling, you know, Jim. When you were saying earlier that the question about do we want to talk about a setting that involves stars and planets and traveling from planets to planets, right? Um, as opposed to you know just sort of this general gray muh, uh, <laughs> just to to make up a, um, well, the, the mystical plane of muh. The mystical plane of muh. The actually what popped in my head was that there should be some sort of mystical gray muh, and that's the medium through which people travel. Ah. Sort of like an astral plane. So anyone who has developed the Mook drive... Yeah, exactly. And essentially... Get- you call it a hyperdrive, call it a faster-than-light drive, call it a Mook drive, call it... You know, you're, the, I, the concept of accessing some medium of travel that allows you to bypass the speed of light restrictions. I can see, like, these energy beings being able to do that natively. The Kel, for example, they use magic to be able to yeah. access that, and they're sort of forcing it. The hairy scavenger beings are doing some sort of composite of magic and technology that allows them to access that medium with some sort of drive capability. And even possibly the teleportation people are are accessing it themselves sort of natively, but with a different and more limited fashion. Like given another 100,000 years, they might evolve to the same point as the energy beings. That does then bring into question, you know, it's interesting how you were saying that if we talk about the powers that can lead us to the history, because the energy beings, almost by definition, have a leg up on everybody else. Exactly. But they're also then sort of the ones that are the least likely to care about it. Like you were describing earlier, they they sort of gotten to a point where they're not interested in trying to have cities. They're not bothered about having a shape that has two arms and two legs and so on and so forth. And I think what Kent was saying is the cities they have are pretty much just intellectual exercises. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They sort of represent both the ultimate goal in terms of what they can do, but also it doesn't seem that they'd be much of a threat True. the others. And not necessarily. I mean, it seems to me they could be if they wanted to be, but exactly. I see these guys as fairly nonviolent. Correct. Since these guys are able to get around best, have they proliferated the most? Oh, yeah. Um, um, they've been we to see every... more of them. That... I wouldn't say you see more of them. Everyone has probably heard of them, but they may not have actually seen them. But they've yeah. been to every solar system in the arm. 
compared to the other races, are there like a lot of them? Are there more of them than the other races? Or I would say uh, no. Are they fewer in number? Only they know how many there are. Okay. And it's, it's hard for people to track that number. And they'll be very vague about it, too. They're, okay, so it's kind of secretive, then, in that respect. Correct. They'll share their knowledge, but when it comes to, like, well, how many of you of there are you? They see that as, like, someone probably looking at trying to force something on them. Oh, well, if there's only 100,000 of them, we can easily take over their world. They probably refer to themselves as a collective. Yes. Okay. So that they're individual in nature, but as a whole, they're one. Oh, yeah, and also, I guess the line between individuals is blurred a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. That sounds cool. I think we may need some more races because I've been thinking about this in terms of a campaign, you know, role playing game style approach, thinking all in the lines of what kinds of races make good player characters. Here's the idea that occurred to me as I've been thinking about this. Adding humans as a race, humans would be sort of like another part of the newcomers to this whole Uh society, that humans would be technology only. They could totally be the beings that ended up wandering in from the next galaxy over. Sure. Like the ones that ended up crashing on the ape planet, basically. Yeah. They had a Charlton Heston moment. Nice. So, guys, how do we feel about the addition of humans as kind of an X factor, as a thing that they're not from here, but they're around? Okay. Yeah, no problem. I don't have an issue with that at all. And are we good with saying they're essentially from beyond the rim? Beyond. The rim of the galaxy? From another galaxy, basically, because this is on the edge of a galaxy. Or from another spiral arm. Oh, from another spiral arm of the same galaxy, Mm -hmm. you're thinking? Yeah, possibly. We could do that. I like the idea that it's like, because these guys are in a spiral arm, they hadn't seen anything for quite a while, and then these beings come in from a side they're not used to. I just kind of like that idea. I don't know if it's... uh... No, yeah, Yeah, that works. Do we want to say that these humans are in fact from Earth, or are they from a different planet? My vote is to have them actually be from Earth and to be able to kind of draw instantaneously on that. For anybody who wants to then delve into this, that gives you automatic links. I don't really have a problem with them being from a uh, a future Earth type thing. Yeah. I'm actually fairly neutral as far as that goes. What do you guys think? No, that works. Yeah. Okay, so these guys are from a future Earth. Right, now, let's go ahead and develop this a little since we're on that right now. The humans that you see in this area, are they... Um, they have their own ships. We know this. They're primarily technologically based. We know this, but... The question is, are they representatives of like some type of military thing, or are they more independent? I think independent. I think they're just out there. Let's, let's okay. go with an independent route, yeah. So it's more like they're out there for independent enterprise, as it were, to use a word that is utterly inappropriate, but <laughs> In the yet appropriate at the same time. Earth, capitalism has consumed everything. Yes! <laughs> and there's only one way to sustain that, is to go out and find other planets to consume. Yes, excellent. We will devour your planet like cheeseburgers. Yeah. Okay, so let's say that, uh, okay, we've got uh, humans out there for independent enterprise, largely. Now let us just briefly drift back. We have established that most space travel can take place by accessing this sort of astral plane type thing, either magically or technologically. And we've established that the energy beings were probably the first ones in this area, and uh, they have the most effective means, but you don't see a lot of them necessarily. They're not around all the time. Just sort of a slightly hidden, mysterious type folk. The next question becomes, who then has the next most effective means who's in this area of travel? Who has the basically the most power to get around? I'd say yeah. probably the Kellyans. Um, yep, I agree. Yeah. If culturally they're the ones that want to expand the most, they probably developed a lot in terms of magical ability to get places and do things. As opposed to the energy race who they have a tremendous amount of ability, but at the same time, they're not interested in having the biggest galactic spanning empire in the world. That Whereas the Kellyans, that would be very important to them. When we're talking about the teleportation race, they're relative newcomers, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they actually have not really broken out of their system yet. They've got because, some probes you know, out. That's it. By being limited to you know teleporting from planet to planet, they're very effective in that they don't have to rely necessarily on ships to go places, but they're also limited in that they don't have ships to go places. And the fact that they're relatively new means that they probably haven't had as much of an opportunity to take advantage of that. My thought is, uh-huh. the most recent significant event is probably that these people have been discovered. There is interest in their mode of travel and thoughts of adapting it, and there may be, I think, a conflict now on between 
as I'm seeing it the way we have it now, between the Kel and probably the humans, uh, with uh, also the ape folk in there as well, but well, uh, perhaps not as major role, but yeah, to try to be the first to get this well, information out of these people. To exploit them. Yes. Yeah. That's a very good point for conflict. I think the, Kel, the Kellians should be very jealous and envious of the energy beings. Oh, totally. It's interesting how, you know, how the power discussion does sort of segue into the historical piece. Because if the Kellians are the warmongering group, whom have they warred against? Would they try to fight the energy people? And how would that go? Because the energy people probably would be like, why are you even interested in fighting? We're not really interested in doing that. What is it you want to fight about in the first place? But they would probably trash the Kellyans if needed. So, I don't know, I'm thinking something along the lines of, at some level, the Kellyan god, empress, priest, matriarch, wanted to identify sort of the heart of the energy being's territory. But finding that and knowing that is very difficult. Probably nobody knows that. We were talking about identifying systems, identifying the home system for where the energy people are from. That shouldn't be something that's known. That is a possibility that perhaps they're that secretive, but maybe the system is known, but it's not known that it's that system. As we kind of established that the system is there. It had a uh, the white dwarf, and it you know it's already went supernova a long time back. But maybe people don't necessarily realize that that is where they are from per se, or if it is, there's nothing they can really do about it. Yeah, there might be a shield of some kind, a barrier in space that they cannot get through, made of energy. Yep. If they want to get at them, and they can't. They could have formed anything at this point, so I think they're fairly safe with respect to that. I do want to say I do kind of like the idea of it being known at least somewhat just simply because then that's a wonderful piece of meat to hang in front of people. That's also good because it means that the Kel don't have too much power and don't take over entirely because their attention is kind of divided a little bit. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, I agree. That, that's part of what I was saying. Like, even if, if it's not known, then part of the drive is trying to locate it. I like the idea of it being known but not being accessible even more. Or people can't even survive there. Non-energy beings might not even be able to survive. Become irradiated or electrocuted or whatever it is that the energy does to them Mm -hmm. without proper protection. That's very cool. I like that. Okay. One thing I wanted to develop out a little bit more about the Kel, just so that we've got a good picture of it. What do their ships look like? Sort of like insectoid. Like they should be sort of dark, lumbering, bulbous things. Again, held together by sort of energy trails. And I think you mentioned that they have arcane devices that they have fitted it with, essentially. Yep. So there's a combination of those with these bulbous things powered by faith. I'm thinking, you know, like, you know, lots of blacks and purples and reds. Let us also figure out energy beings. We already kind of said sort of what their vessels... I mean, their vessels are going to look like a big ball of energy, I I assume. Mm -hmm. People Um, will confuse it as a star crossing across the heavens. I mean, is there any particular color that these energy beings favor, or do they just range through the spectrum? Oh, that's a good question. They probably shift and go shift throughout mood, the maybe even. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. Yep, that's what I was thinking too. Is emotion driven? But yeah, for right now, it's uh, just go with white. White, okay. So they look like stars, pretty much, literally. Mm-hmm. Let's see. The ape folk, I think, probably are driving these kind of hackneyed things. I think they're husks of human vessels, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Maybe some faction of humans a while back ended up crossing over, crashing onto their planet. Okay. Um, maybe trying to take the planet, and they actually... It was an older generation of humans. This was actually, let's say, within the last couple hundred years, that the ape folk actually got into interstellar travel. And it's essentially through this and other salvaged technology that they kind of put together. So their ships can pretty much look like anything, but I think they're probably on the outside. They look a little bit more technological than not. And when I was talking about their technology, I was thinking about using teleportation technology, but maybe they actually have a drive technology that they have managed to actually fuel with magic. Mm. Maybe they're what wizards they have or sorcerers or whatever we want to call them. They're rainmakers, essentially, can cause these drives that they build. Because I kind of see them as kind of like, uh, they almost are like technomancers at this point. I kind of saw them as kind of like maybe artificers. The magic they have is largely device-based, I think, so they apply that to the uh, what they have. So they've got a, say, a fairly sophisticated shielding device that makes up for any parts that the ship is missing as far as the vacuum of space nice. is concerned. So sometimes it's like you see a ship flying by, and it's half a ship. <laughs> you can <laughs> see inside, and you can see the eight people inside waving at you, defying mm-hmm. physics. 
but it's actually this little sort of gravity bubble junction box that they've created to just magically generate the appropriate atmosphere. So that's kind of a, a hodgepodge that they have, but that I think would work for them. And human ships, I guess we're bound to see more freighters than anything else. Would that sound about right? I'd say, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so the humans started showing up, say, about, say, 200 years ago. Maybe there was a company that went under, essentially, that sent out these big dreadnoughts to oh, try... Oh, so they, they're big? The transports well, are huge? They were. Ah. <laughs> that company went under. Okay. That company got them there, but now they're uh, pretty much just more independent folk, I think. More independent businesses out there. So I think they used to be huge, and now they're smaller. But that would mean that some of the ape folk have huge ships now <laughs> that they're still using after a couple hundred years. So I'm seeing kind of a timeline here, then, where we have the supernova happens in the energy beings' world. They go out and they proliferate. And then there's perhaps a thing that happens in between there, which uh, we have yet to define. But then we have the humans entering the system. I think the thing that should happen in between probably is related to the Kel. Maybe the Kel get into their interstellar travel there in between that. Yeah, that sounds right to me. The Kel were the second oldest spacefaring as far as that goes. Does that sound good? Oh, yeah. So the Kel come out and they find that they can start conquering places, but they're kind of obsessed with trying to get in past the energy barrier and they can't. So about how long ago do we want to say that the Kel actually started proliferating? It would Five. be more than 200 years ago, but... Oh, uh, yeah. 500? Four to 500. Okay. Mm -hmm. The comet-traveling people, it would have all been much more recent than that for them. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, totally. It goes from the energy beings going out there, then eventually the Kel going out there, perhaps a long time later, thousands of years later. So the Kel get out there and start conquering planets. The humans come into the picture, and the ape folk at that time manage to get off their planet. A couple hundred years pass. And then we have the blue folk. The blue wizards are now just being discovered uh, within the last few years. Mm -hmm. So... We need to come up with some interesting places where main action would take place if one were doing, uh, putting a story together about these people. And uh, so I think probably one of them should be some kind of space station. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what kind of space station do we want and where should it be? Something attuned to the humans, kind of like on the border between their realm and or their space, if you want to call it that. Okay, so maybe like something like that's on the edge or out beyond the edge? Correct, yep. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so what kind of station is this? If it's for the humans, I'm thinking like a kind of a combination trade and refueling station. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I was okay. thinking something built out of a big it's, asteroid or something. It's a giant truck stop. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You know, an asteroid would make sense. You like Maybe it's like it's set in an asteroid belt, so there's a lot of resources, you know, like there's a lot of... Okay. There's a lot of yeah, mining. There's also comet farming and you know, like drawing fuel it's, elements out of the out of comets and um it's deadwood. <laughs> it's deadwood in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh if it's on the edges of the human expansion sort of or or travel lanes, if it's supposed to be a mm -hmm. human space station, a fueling type thing makes a lot of sense. It also can serve as sort of a free port type of model for people who want to avoid or get away from um, the Kellyans. And let's actually figure this out. How much real estate have the Kellyans conquered at this point? I think definitely multiple star systems. Okay. I like the idea of, you know, we're talking upwards of well, 30, 40. Okay, so uh, I'm thinking then maybe they're closest to the inside, as it were, of this galaxy, uh, of this spiral arm. But then, that said, actually, I know we, they haven't conquered the system where the energy people are from, but have they conquered the systems of the ape folk or the blue folk yet? And if not, why not? Well, I think the blue folk, probably not, and the answer to that is they're brand new on the right. scene. They just don't know they exist. And they're also, I think they should be out on the edge of things, or at least relative okay. to where the Kel are. So they're in that system on the very tippy end of that uh, spiral arm. Sure. Okay. Or out in that direction. For the scrounging group, are they more like wanderers than anything else? Should they still have a culture that's based out of their home system? If they've developed a technology that's based on interactions with other cultures, uh -huh. by definition, they need to be out there interacting with those other cultures. That's uh, true. That's a trait that you get by having to move around. Well, this is true, but then again, it's also only been like about 200 years. Mm -hmm. So I think that they are probably still somewhat tied to their home, but probably not very much. Well, and, th and then I guess the other question is, you had mentioned an idea earlier about having them kind of draw on like human ships and methodology. 
what if maybe instead of the humans, if they encountered some sort of lost civilization set of resources that then they use to couple together to make their own ships and methods of transport so that it's a blend in terms of technology, but they don't necessarily have to, they're not scavenging out of every race they come across, but their genesis comes from that. So they've got those traits. Instead of trying to derive from like anybody and everybody because they don't have the resources to do it themselves, if they develop their blend technology by, you know, they've got their own background okay. culture, and then at some point they ran across the remnants of this other, like, you know, they didn't, they didn't know about spacefaring. You, you described them like they originally they're they're sort of magic yeah. oriented on their fantasy world. Other yeah. races die off, and then they encounter the technology, the spacefaring technology of another lost race. Maybe. Well, uh, I actually have a thought now, and this is going to be really weird because I'm now drawing on. Did you ever see a movie called Explorers? <laughs> uh, the Explorers or just Explorers? Because yes, I have seen the Explorers. I think it was just Explorers, but it's been a long time. Yeah. So I cannot remember if there was a the in front of it or not. I don't think there was. But uh, here, basically, here's the idea. In that movie, they uh, get visions of a type of a circuit board that they can then use to create this bubble around themselves and take it into space. It's, it's basically, these kids get this idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same one? Yes. Okay. So what if... And I'm not saying these guys had a vision necessarily. Maybe they did. I don't know. Because I was talking about them being kind of like artificers, making arcane devices. Maybe, if they say maybe uh, they're digging through their various ruins after this uh, magic apocalypse, and they actually do manage to come across things that were used in uh, magical means of spacefaring, and they use that on, uh, on certain devices, and they come up with these bubbles, essentially, that they're able to create to support life, and that can take them up into space. Remember how I was talking about the thing with the shields, that essentially the magic holds the rest of it together, whatever they throw together. Maybe they had their own things that they were using to start out with. Maybe things that looked a little like boats, or, well, anything, really, platforms, what have you. You just turn on the device, and the shield comes around you, and you can then use the device to fly that shield up into space. So maybe they had that before they actually started interacting with other cultures and starting to borrow some of their ship designs. Does that sound at all yeah, feasible? No, yeah, I, like I like it. it. I like it. Okay. So let's say maybe that I could say we could push it back a little bit further on the timeline. So let's say this is a slightly important distinction because it tells us about their proliferation. So about four or five hundred years ago, the Kel managed to start going out and conquering with their interstellar travel and their desire to spread the word of their matriarch. Do we want to say that the ape folk discovered their means of interstellar travel through these bubbles before or after that happened? I'm thinking after. Okay. After. So should we put it at, say, between two and three hundred years ago? That sounds about right to me. Sure. Anyone? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And so between two and three hundred years ago it happened, and then say maybe two hundred years ago the humans crashed in the system. Okay, that works. Because I think we've got some very cool stuff here now. Have the Kel... What kind of weapons do they have? That's a thought. Do they have ship-type weapons? Yeah, they have magical ship-type weapons that shoot things at people and, and make them feel bad. How do they stand up to, you know, uh, the kind of sort of laser-type stuff, I'm assuming, that human ships have? I'd probably want to go with, um, I think, a mix of flashy and invisible at the same time. It's magic-driven, so they should... <laughs> How much of a touch of realism do we want to even try to drop into all of this? Okay, I think you know, you I, I think I see where this is going. So perhaps we should just say they uh, they unleash bolts of uh, fiery space goo of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> I like that fiery space goo works. Okay. Yeah. Magical <laughs> fiery space goo. Yes. Yes. Which is okay. very different from the scientific fiery space goo. That's right. <laughs> it's like Greek fire in space. <laughs> My question. Okay. I, I, what this really comes down to. So that being the case. With this, say, for example, this space station, it is a safe place from the Kel. Why is that the case? Partly distance. Okay. Mm. They just haven't gotten over there at this point. Yeah, I think that's actually okay. a major factor is distance. It seems to me there is a border somewhere between Kel space and not Kel space. What holds that border back? What is it that's keeping that border from expanding right now? Is it purely distance, or is it, or well, is there some other factor? Be, there should be forces in opposition to the Kel as well. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I, I'm thinking probably, I'm guessing the ape folk and the humans don't like them too much. Maybe uh, the ape folk and the humans are allied. Do I think have, that's probably a good idea. Do we have any kind of non-sentient or 
Is there like a huge band of asteroids maybe cutting asteroids, through that spiral arm or do something? We have, <laughs> yeah, do we have creatures out there? Or an old space minefield. Ooh, a mine net. Maybe travel is difficult for the larger Kel ships through this area. Maybe there's like a... Uh, oh, okay. It's been mined. Oh, okay, yeah. The ape folk have developed magical bombs. <laughs> <laughs> magical mines that essentially... <laughs> you run into them and they do horrible, horrible things to you. Or uh, they pass by them and close enough and they yeah. attach the ship or something. Uh, turn your ship inside out. That's a thought. So maybe there's like partially there's a big band of asteroids... Maybe there's a minefield. Well, what do we like best? Do we like minefield, asteroids, or, or creatures? Or do we want all three? I think well, maybe gotta... it is all three. There's a huge band of asteroids that have been mined. Okay. And maybe there are creatures in and among thinking Empire Strikes Back, you know. So I'm thinking this front, whatever the front is called, it's probably a good second area. Are there a place where things like troops are stationed along this area, or is it mostly just the mines and the creatures do all the work? I think that, yeah. I I just think distance and and mines and creatures just kind of... By the time, whatever it takes to get to this point, suddenly you're faced with a mass of moving rock. So that being the case, you probably don't actually see a lot of Kel in this area specifically that we've been talking about on this spiral arm. I'm guessing you see some. Right. You probably don't see (laughs) the big ships. Yeah, you I see the smaller, right. the ones who are able to make it around. I take it that when one does see them, they're mostly uh, antagonists. Sure, it's kind of like this version of the Klingons or what have you. That works for me. So this front is an interesting area, I think, where we've got the asteroids and the creatures. Do we want to volunteer a type of creature that perhaps hangs out? We can point to one or two types of these things. A giant space thing. Yeah, um, I think there should be like an invisible serpentine thing. Ooh. Invisible serpentine. That travels between asteroids, not that like lives in them, but that sort of glides around on drafts of particles okay. flying back and forth through space. Well, it's, maybe it's got a means of attaching itself to the different forms of gravitation and all that. Yeah. So when you look at it, it's kind of like the predator effect. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool. I think there's going to be some sort of natural, maybe there's something about the area that prevents FTL. Huh. You Maybe gotta, you got to slow down and you got to go normal. Well, there might be some sort of cyclical thing that might interrupt this sort of astral plane in that area for some reason. Maybe there's a property of the asteroids or something that the creatures are connected to. Right. That causes problems with this field. Although, actually, that would... Ooh. Maybe it, it can't cut it off entirely because then you've got, you know, you go this far and then your ship disappears. Although, I like this idea that maybe nearby there's like you've got a kind of a sargasso of different ships, hulks of ships, junkyards out there. Maybe there's some sort of interference that happens, say some sort of resonance generated by the asteroids or something. Can you guys listening tell that I know nothing about science? Aww. Oh, sadness. But it's a kind of a magical resonance thing, so it doesn't have to be science-driven. Not completely. I think, how about a name like the Dark Wall Perimeter? The Dark Wall Perimeter? Yeah. That's cool. So I think we're nearly done here. Then we just need to name a few things. And by a few, I mean many. I'm just going to go down the list here of stuff as I wrote it down. We need a name for the ape race. The Mystagoth. The Mystagoths? Mm-hmm. I like that. M-Y-S-T-I? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. The Mystagoths. And you know what, actually? Just to bring this back around to the Viking thing, I just finally, my brain clicked here. Maybe some of their earlier ships actually did look like long ships. <laughs> nice. <laughs> these eight people with long ships <laughs> that they took and, you know, invested these devices into. Ha <laughs> ha! I think that's awesome. And so when you see them, they're not naked necessarily. They have sort of their red fur and gray fur and all that, but they wear on them the ridiculous helmets. The piecemeal <laughs> armor, you know. Yeah, like piecemeal armor. Horned helmets. Yeah, exactly. They're space-faring Vikings. Yes, <laughs> space-faring Viking apes. The Mystagoths. Awesome, excellent. And now we must name their planet and their system. The name of the planet at this point might not even be important. I mean, you know, they'll have historians, though. Yeah. How about Drossheim? Drossheim? Sure, Drossheim. Cool. Actually, I do kind of like that because of the idea of uh, the term dross. I'm thinking D-R-O-S-S. Yep, D-R-O-S-S-H-E-I-M. Because I recognize that term, which is that, well, it's the scum that forms on the surface of molten metal. Yes. But um, <laughs> I've also heard it used as magical residue, yep. essentially. So that's fine. Drossheim. Would we also call it the Drossheim system? Or sure. Yeah, it'd be named either after their planet or their sun. So, um, yeah, we're good. You already named the Kellians and all that, mm-hmm, so yeah. that was taken care of. The system is Razakel, the planet is Kellian, 
and We're they are the just Kel. Finishing up. We need to name the energy beings. Oni Shri. Oni Shiri. Oni. Oni Shiri. Mm-hmm. Oni is a uh, type of spirit, isn't it? Yeah, it will be. And uh, could you spell that for me? O N I what? S H R I. Is that one word or hyphenated or? It would be one word. Okay, so the Onishri. Mm-hmm. And what do we want to call their system? Is it just the Onishri system or is it? You could just shorten it to Oni. The Oni system. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we want to name their planet or do we want to leave that? Uh, we can name it. We can come back to it. Let me do a little bit of creative thinking here. All um, right. The blue folk, what do we want to call them? The blue wizards, what do we want them? Well, I think the group that is traveling, I think it's the, the Eldritch Collective. Nice. The Eldritch Collective. Their planet is maybe Dwimmer something. I like the word Dwimmer. Yeah, so like D-W-E-O-M-E-R? No, D-W-I-N-M-E-R. It's an old English word. It has to do with magic. Oh, yes, no, I've actually, I've seen it with the other spelling, though. That's interesting. So their planet is called Dwimmer? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Do we also call it the Dwimmer system, or uh, do we call it something else? Yeah, I think Dwimmer, yeah, I don't think that they, yeah. They don't distinguish. Okay, that's good. It's very jingoistic of them. You know, once you establish those gateways, you can conquer another planet pretty quickly if you can just take over. Okay, we need a name for the Mech. Oh, the thing that everybody uses to manipulate? What do they call it, that kind of astral plane type thing? I think I just used Dwimmer. I would have used that. Um. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Dwimmer would have been a great one to use for that, actually. Uh, Do we want to swap out Dwimmer and... <laughs> no, hang on. No, no, no. Let's, let's figure out something. <laughs> falafel. Yes, falafel. that's it. It's made entirely of falafel. Everybody travels through falafel. I like this idea. I think we need more falafel-based travel. Be something like the gray... Uh, that could be possible. Actually, I've seen that used as a planar name before. Yeah, in, the gray uh, has been used a lot. Yeah. In, in Dungeons and Dragons. Well, how about the pink? Um, the pink? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Why not? The pink. Or, or just the pale. There you go. All right, you know what? I think I would like to use the pale because then not only can you talk about going beyond the pale and mean it, but it makes it slightly a, a, a frightening thing, an unknown. That's yeah. good. You've gone into the pale. And maybe uh, those that tap into it use what they refer to as pale energy. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds cool. Chris, what do you want to call the matriarch? Oh, man. Is she just referred to as the matriarch? No, no. She'd have the god queen. Yeah, but there'd be some sort of click-clack-click-click-click sounding title that she would have. What is the name? It's an African language. There are several, but the one that's the famous one that involves clicks. Oh. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Let me see here. Kosa? Oh, yeah. yeah. X-H-O-S-A? Yes. Very well done, sir. Thank you. Actually, there are a few different spellings for it, I see. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like Kosa. Kosa. I can't, I can't pronounce it. I like the X. Yeah, X-H-O-S-A. Yeah, oh, that that's what, that I, look, what I look for. Uh, Anything with X's is always cooler. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I got Especially great, in space. That's a great thing. It's just looking for dialects. Fembu and Bombana. Pondo. Pandomsi. While you're looking that up, I just thought about this. We kind of figured out culturally what these different beings are like. Um, because the energy folk have a collective and the ape folk have, they're sort of Vikings, but the Eldritch Collective, is it kind of a democracy type thing or is it more of a... Uh, I don't think that necessarily the people on the planet, most of the people on the planet, to them this is all magic and they all live kind of in their own little world. That's is, the, is it a megocracy? Probably, yeah, it is probably, but the bulk of the people don't have any idea. I mean, they may even think the world is flat and they just travel through these gates to these other places. It's only that collective, the Eldritch Collective, that actually have any kind of concept of the... But uh, what are the people called? Are they also called the Dwim or... uh... I I don't think there's any one single... To the bulk of the people, it's like any other medieval world. There are hundreds of countries. Different races? Different races and... What is that race called, then? I think the blue people are the Dwimmer. And so they're the only ones that are really going out there. And so they get to name it as far as everybody else is concerned. What do the people on the world call the world? Hmm. So I was just thinking they might have a name for their world. Yeah, I'm trying to think. 
But you're thinking it's kind of run by the people whoever has the most magic? Effectively, yeah, but probably the people there don't understand that. Okay, so they're kind of still in, uh, what, it, medieval mode? It, it, yeah, it's, it's much more of a feudal society in that there's been a kind of a breakthrough by this group of mages. And so to the rest of the world, they probably aren't even aware of the whole comet thing. It's going to come into effect soon, I have a feeling. Well, yeah. Uh, well, that's cool, though. That's cool. I'll hop back to Kent for a second. Kent, have you decided anything with respect to if the uh, that, that thing you were looking up? I'm sorry? E-K-A-M. E-K-A-M. And that is the name of? The Barrier. Okay, The Barrier. E-K-A-M. Uh, mm-hmm. E-K-A-M. Okay. It means Supreme Oneness. Oh, nice. Okay. And so that is the barrier. Do they also refer to their planet that way, or does the planet name just not really matter at this point? They will have a planet, but let's call it Shiri, instead of Oni Shiri, you know, because they're Oni Shiri, the okay. planet is Shiri. And now you were saying S-H-R-I, is that still mm-hmm. okay. yep. planet Shiri? Okay. And Chris, have you decided on a name for, or a title for the matriarch? Yes, it's Nyakusa. Okay, Ooh. could you spell that for me, please? <laughs> yes, N-Y-A-K-Y-U-S-A. Awesome. Or uh, just the Nyakusa. The Nyakusa. Uh, does it that sort g- of sounds like something the Three Stooges would say to a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Nyakusa. <laughs> nice. It is a type of Bantu language. I guess the Kel kind of, does it sound like clicks and such yeah. when they talk to each other? Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, I, I think they should speak a Bantu dialect sounding thing. <laughs> N-Y-A-K-Y-U-S-A. I have a name for what the people call their planet. Awesome. Lay it on me. Liutsu. L-O-I-T-S-U. It's Finnish for a magical incantation. Yoitsu. Okay, cool. I apologize to any Finnish listeners about my <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Are the comet ships just called comet ships, or do they have uh, another term for those? Mm, yeah, I think so. I don't... I think they just call them the comet ships? Yeah. Okay. We uh, should probably name the giant invisible serpents. Ooh. Shitopi. Shitopi? Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. How are you spelling... S H I T O P I. Okay, how about we drift the spelling just a little bit? That's fine. Go for it. Would you be all right with something like C H Y? Oh, yeah. Like the Kaitope. Yep, Kaitope. That sounds good. C H Y T O P E. Oh, you know what else we forgot to name? What's that? Got to name the space station. Puma. Now, this is a human space station. Are they going to name it after a Puma? They might. Whoever built it might have liked cats. They could have yep. been Aztecs. Weren't they big into Puma? <laughs> They dumped uh, their calendar Earth. and they headed out into space. <laughs> yeah, how about, no. how about we'll call it Asterix 4? Asterix 4. <laughs> but it's uh, spelling it A-S-T-R-I-X. Asterix? Yep. Is in the, the common misspelling of asterisk? <laughs> <laughs> or are we talking like the Viking? No, wait, there's an E in that. So uh, A-S-T-R-I-X? Yeah, A-S-T-R-I-X. Okay. Asterix 4 implies that there are three others out there. It does indeed. Or that they're worth up to four. Uh, we're, getting a little bit of, we're getting a little Babylon 5 now. Uh, let's not do it. <laughs> yeah. I like to think that there are three others. Maybe it's, uh, there are three others along the way between uh, Earth and here. Who knows? We'll leave those details to another individual to flesh out. Good idea. Okay. So asterisk four. Cool. Awesome. Okay. I think the only thing that's left for us to name is the setting. So pigs in space is kind of out. That is out. Yeah. Um, unless they, I mean, unless they actually have a name for this uh, spiral arm, which might be cool. <laughs> well, I, well, I was thinking that if they have a name for the spiral arm, it could just be the name of that spiral arm, if we want to call it that. Do we want to name the setting after the spiral arm, or do we want to give it a different name? Well, we could just call the whole thing Outlandia, because, dear God, it's outlandish. It is, isn't it? What do you guys think? <laughs> sure. That Outlandia? Outlandia. I okay. I've heard that before, but... Oh, have you? Oh, I'm sure there's probably something out there called Outlandia. Uh, it's not that. There might be. There's an Outlandia.com. There is. is indeed. Oh, it looks like a place. That's a cool treehouse or whatever the heck. Cool yeah. There's <laughs> an off-grid treehouse studio and field station in Glen Nevis, Lockerbie, Scotland. You know, I don't think we're going to run into too much difficulty. No, no, I don't think we will. Actually, okay. I think perhaps the humans named it after this thing. I think <laughs> Yeah, maybe Outlandia is just what the humans have decided to call this uh, yeah, the, the, sector. Yeah, fire alarm here, and yeah. uh, they named it after this artist's residence. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That'll work, I think. All right, we will call it Outlandia. Excellent. Excellent. So there we are, yet another setting. 
in the hopper here. And John had a recommendation. Watch Community. If you've never seen Community, the television show, go watch it. Save it from cancellation. It's a great show. Very, very cool. cool. Thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. And uh, as always, we're going to put this into the wiki. This is going to be an open world, so uh, you may feel free to utilize this in whatever fictions or whatever game projects you may have. All you have to do is just credit the podcast. As always, you can feel free to contact us via the various contacts on the website. And we very much appreciate your downloading and listening once again. You can reach me at jim at crucibleofrealms.com. John at crucibleofrealms.com. The Mad Gamer at crucibleofrealms.com. Awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We are out. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Crucible of Realms. Do you have comments or a question? Have you used one of our settings? Tell us about it. You can contact us at podcast at crucibleofrealms.com or leave a review for us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Or if you'd like to contact one of the hosts individually, you can find our emails on the website at crucibleofrealms.com. From there, you can check out the wiki with all the settings we've created so far. Those settings and this podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. The opening and closing theme was composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. <laughs> <laughs>